Today's episode is sponsored by Coldfeed Studios. Coldfeed Studios assists early stage founders in a variety of ways from mentoring, strategic review, architecture design, and freelance software engineering. Think of it as the accelerator connections you wish you had. Sean Enman, the founder of Coldfeed Studios, previously co-founded a startup in the healthcare software space, which exited in early 2017. With experience ranging from three-person startups to 30,000-person companies, he has the background you need and the scars to prove it. Just for bootstrapping SaaS podcast listeners, Sean is offering a free 30-minute consultation with no strings attached. He wants to hear about your current struggle, where you want to get next, and help you get there. But hurry because his spots are limited. Visit coldfeetstudios.com to get in touch. That is coldfeetstudios.com. Together with Coldfeet, you will get unstuck and focus on growing. Hi everyone, this is Val Sopi. And this is Bootstrapping SaaS. In this podcast, I share my journey to 10K in recurring revenue with ClaireTask.com. All right, man, should we start? Yeah, let's go for it. I'm ready, yeah. All right, cool. So, uh, hi everyone. Uh, this is episode 17, and I'm very excited today because I have my first guest in Bootstrapping SaaS podcast. Uh, his name is Louis Nichols. He is from uh, Zurich in Switzerland, and uh, I'll let you, Louis, talk about yourself a bit, introduce yourself. Sure. Um, happy to be here. This is the first time that we're speaking properly, so it's, it's nice to meet you as well. Um, I don't know where you want me to begin. I've done a lot of different things over the last couple of years. Um, I'm sure we'll get into talking about quite a lot of it. Um, maybe I'll start with what I'm doing today, and we can work back from there. Sure. Yeah. So right now I'm running a course for founders, mainly for bootstrap founders, teaching them how to do sales. So that's kind of my, my main thing. I've been doing that now for three or four months. And the kind of the new uh, big official launch of the course is happening uh, the end of, uh, in one and a half weeks from the time we're recording this. So on the, the 9th of, of September. Oh, cool. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. On the side, I do some, some consulting, uh, mainly around uh, kind of conversion rate optimization and, and social proof. And before that, I founded some companies, uh, worked at a, a slightly larger VC-backed startup. Um, yeah, that's, that's my background. We can talk about that if we, if we want sure, to. Sure, yeah, that sounds good. And I also wanted to mention the, the funny story uh, that... Um, once I started preparing for this podcast, I went to your about uh, page mm-hmm. and your Twitter page just to find out, find out a little bit more about you. Uh, and then I see a startup that you co-founded, which was Jim Hopper. Yep. And I sort of reversed back. Um, I have a friend in Zurich, Roman Timmerman, that I mentioned to you before this uh, mm-hmm. recording. And then I, I, um, I talked to him on Messenger and I say, hey, man, you remember that startup you told me about? I'm speaking to this guy that co-founded it. Do you maybe know him? He's like, oh, yeah, I know him. Uh, he was a boss of my friend. And yeah, so I was like, wow, this, you know, it's really a small world we live in. So that yeah, was really cool bit that, you know, I got to find out about you, which I did uh, last week, probably. I don't know if it was from a friend of mine or I ran across your tweet somewhere. Uh, but yeah, um, I guess I can go right into uh, the first question. And uh, it sort of uh, relates to one of the tweets 
that inspired you for this chord that was from Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, that a lot of uh, bootstrappers focus on marketing where they should focus on sales initially. Uh, so I know this is a very dumb question, but can you touch upon a little bit what sales and marketing is? Uh, what are their differences in sort of short ways and what they are not? So, yeah. Uh yeah i can i can try <laughs> um, okay. it's, a, it's a difficult thing to to talk about right so we're talking about i think your audience is mainly bootstrapped founders people who are early on in their their careers Correct. right yes um, so i think for those kind of people um sales and marketing are basically i like to think of them as the difference between pushing and pulling information uh that's obviously not how you would, you know, if you go to business school or something, how they're going to explain what sales is and what marketing is. Right. But um, I think for the purposes of an early stage founder, um, marketing is basically how you push information to people to help them find out about you. So you're saying something, you're putting it in front of people, whether that's an email, a Facebook ad, um, a search result. It's some information that you've created and that you're putting in front of someone else and they're going to give you some binary feedback. Right. So I'm going to say whether well, it could be an ad, it could be an email, it could be anything, but it's a piece of information, a piece of content, a video, for example, where I've given them this, I want them to take an action. And the feedback I get is either yes, they've taken the action or no, they didn't. And that's all that I get back. Right. And I don't get back any context about why they didn't take the action or why they did take the action. Mm -hmm. All I get back is that binary feedback. Yes, I did it or no, something is wrong, which is fine when you have a lot of people seeing that video, right? Right. Because right. you can start to A-B test, you can make small tweaks, and you can kind of work out what's, what's wrong. But at the very early stage where your audience is, where most of us are in the beginning, you have no idea what's wrong. It could be anything, right? It could be maybe you're saying the wrong thing. Maybe you're saying the wrong thing to the wrong person. Uh, maybe you're saying the right thing to the right people, but with the wrong words. Um, maybe 90% of the words you're using are right, but 10% are really wrong. You've no idea, right? And if all you're getting is this yes, no, A, B, uh, kind of true, false feedback, then it's going to take you ages of trial and error to work out what's happening. Whereas sales, on the other hand, is pulling information. You're not telling anyone anything. You're asking them questions and you're letting them teach you what's important to them and how to sell to them. So the reason I think most people, and there are some small exceptions, but basically for, for 95% of, of founders, the reason I think you should start with sales first is because you don't need to know anything, really. You just need to be interested and to ask questions. You then pull that information from your customers. You let them teach you how to sell to them and what they care about. And then you can turn what they've told you into marketing later. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. And I think that's uh, something that uh, the listeners right now, which are sort of in the same spot that I'm in, are very curious about. And I'm, I'm really glad you made the distinction between, you know, pushing the information and pulling the information from your buyers. Uh, my sort of next question to that is, how do you find those people? Like sort of, how do you sell to the right lead? How do you find those leads? What are sort of the, some of the ways to do that? Wow, that's a, um, that's a really big kind of broad yeah. question to answer. Um, it's super difficult to just answer that kind of one-off as, as, kind of as the question's asked. Um, maybe a, a way to start thinking about it is even 
who is the kind of person that I want to sell to in the first place, right? That's the, the basic thing that you need to get right. And I think there are two ways, so, so that's your audience basically. And I think there are basically two ways that you want to think about who your audience is. So on the one hand, you can look at kind of as a segment who these people are, right? So we can take your example if you want with Claritask. So sure, yeah, maybe absolutely. you can, that makes it a bit easier for people to understand. Um, so who would you say your audience is? Uh, so right now uh, it's agencies, uh, digital mm -hmm. marketing agencies, uh, creative agencies. So sort of those two groups with digital marketing being the main one right now. Right. So, but that, that's the customer, but who is the person, like the decision maker you need to convince? Right. So that would be project manager or owner of that business. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it's the project manager owner of an agency. Uh, and I'm, is there any kind of specific kind of agency, like a, uh, let's say design agency with probably 10 to a hundred people. Is it more like, is it, you know, can a five person agency use this? Can a 500 person agency use this? Yeah. So it would be currently like, I'm sort of basing from the current users that are uh, yep. finding it useful. It's 10 people to 30, 50. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have one company that are 50 people on Claritask, but it's between those numbers. So 10 to 50 people. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's one way that you can kind of segment your audience by saying, uh, Okay, so the people, the people who are likely to need this product, people who, if I reach out to them, it's likely that some of them will need this and that they will respond, is to look at, you know, who are other people who are similar to them, right? So who they fit this description that you've written down, right? And that's kind of this customer persona that you hear about a lot in marketing. Um, I think that can be useful, but then there's a second part that people don't tend to do too well, which is based around something called the jobs to be done framework. Mm -hmm. which you may have heard of before. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so which is where we're taking um, people who you think would be a good fit for your product and asking, okay, what jobs do they have to do? What are they trying to achieve? What are they searching for? And that's another way to work out where to find these people, right? Because if you know, okay, well, it doesn't matter who they are, but we know that they're going to be looking for a way to do whatever they need to do with Claritask. Um, well, where are they going to be going and asking questions about this? Where are they going to be looking for answers? That kind of thing. So there's two different ways to find, that's two different ways. You can either, you know, the first way, say, okay, I'm going to reach out to everyone who fits this description. Mm -hmm. For example, an agency, product owner at an agency uh, with 10 to 50 people, which is one way you can scrape those, you can find those, reach out to them. Or you can say, okay, I'm going to reach out to these places where people are when they're thinking about, you know, when they're looking for this kind of thing. Right, I think right, those right. are the two ways to do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, the other thing is that, you know, considering that uh, most of us indie hackers, bootstrappers, uh, developers are very introverted, uh, me considering, you know, so I'm starting for myself. So what's the first thing that you do? Like, do you cold email them? Do you call them? And uh, from my experience, I've tried some of the cold emailing and I haven't really gotten that much out of it. And I know I probably wasn't doing it right. So my messaging was probably off. Uh, I wasn't maybe emailing the right person. So how do you go about uh, passing that obstacle of, you know, being an introvert and then reaching to someone with an email or even with a call? And uh, what is the step that you're trying to get from that? You know, like, is it a demo? So I guess it's a two-part question. The first part is how do you, you know, pass through that obstacle of sending the right cold email? And then what is the goal of that? Like, what's the next step? Okay, sure. So that depends slightly, in my opinion, on 
where you are, right? Is this, you know, you have an idea and you're trying to find customer number one. Uh, do you have a hundred customers? Do you have 10 customers? You know, what stage are we talking about here? Okay, so my, my point would be four. I have four companies that are using it, about 70 people. Um, so I guess, you know, my, I'm trying to get to the 10th, sort of 10 clients overall right now. Right, okay. So I don't know kind of how you got those first four customers. Maybe that's something we'll have to, to dive into. But the first place I would say to start, if you can, is always with your own network, right? Mm -hmm. So start getting it out there, posting on Twitter, on LinkedIn, if you use LinkedIn, all those kind of places, just making it obvious that you're doing this thing and talking about, you know, your customers, how well they're doing, uh, being open and asking people for help and being proactive. Um, that's a good way of doing it. Uh, the second thing is, okay, so you already have four customers. Mm -hmm. So uh, can they introduce you to other people? Actually, uh, one of them came from an existing client. And uh, that existing right. client was the one that I invited on the alpha sort of stage. And they recommended it. So uh, that's how the second client came in. But my sort of struggle right now is that all these four clients that I have, uh, I've either known them or they came from my network. However, right now, I really would like to um, uh, venture out to companies that, that have never heard about me. So that's sort of, I'm looking for that validation of some agency in Zurich maybe or in New York saying, hey, you know, I just found out this product and it really fits what we're trying to achieve. Let's use it. So that's sort of my struggle right now. Like how do you jump? How do you make that leap? That sort of like huge leap from your network to the unknowns. Right. Okay. Well, I think especially when you only have four customers, which is a great start, right? Mm -hmm. But um, still, if you if you really want to reach outside of your existing network and not just build off that, which I think is totally a you know a, a good way to do it. But if you do want to reach out to completely new people, then one thing that you might think about doing is reaching out not for a sale but for some feedback. Mm -hmm. So explain for example send a short email uh, maybe you can find some kind of mutual contact anyway maybe you find something they've written on their own blog you reach out to the person uh, not necessarily to the company and you reach out to that person and say hey i really like what you wrote here or i really like what you're posting on twitter for example mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm working on this thing it's helping companies you know people in exactly your position with this problem uh, i'm already working with for example, four companies and they're really enjoying it. And now I'm looking to get a bit more feedback. And because you're a really clever person or because you know what you wrote in here, I think you'd be interested in, I think you'd have some great experience. Uh, do you have 30 minutes for a quick call? Time, right. for example, yeah. And that's a very long-winded way, right? You'd, that email would be a lot shorter or that t Twitter DM would be a lot shorter in real life. Mm -hmm. But that's basically the point you're trying to make, right? It's just... Uh, asking for some, you know, reaching out to someone saying you admire them and obviously be honest, you right, know, she's yeah, yeah. a, a, a real person that you do think is, you know, is doing some really cool stuff. Reach out to them and ask them for some advice. Yeah, that sounds good. I've actually done a little bit of it. Uh, I was looking into a competitor's uh, Twitter account mm -hmm. and then I was looking at their replies with uh, clients that were sort of frustrated with their product. And I reached to them out sort of in the same uh, similar fashion that you're suggesting where I said, hey, you know, I know you're using this uh, product and I really know what uh, is frustrating you about it. So I'm building this and this. Uh, so I would like to address those things on my app. And I got some conversations out of it, but it didn't, 
like they weren't even though they were frustrated with it uh the switch was sort of like you know uh when it came to talking about maybe even you know giving uh claritas a try they were sort of like the the conversation would go like silent at that point you know so maybe i didn't know how to cross or maybe i didn't even i wasn't even speaking to the right people or the to the frustrated people that are real ready to switch maybe i don't know so yeah yeah well i mean what i understand from claritas is it's a, it's kind of like a project management tool right correct yeah so if someone's already using a project management tool then they're going to have a lot of their processes and their day-to-day work built on top of that right so moving away from that is a lot of work it's a lot of risk and that's something that's very difficult to make people do obviously right 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 so i you know even in the best case where you know it's going to be really difficult to get people to move away from their existing tools and maybe that's not something you can quite you know that's not a, a quick overnight decision that they're right. going to make yeah. i think you need to build up relationships and some trust there and maybe at the beginning it's easier to get people on board who aren't using any tool yet or who just quit a tool for example because getting people to move that getting them to move from their crm for example that, that's very very difficult uh you know it's painful uh it's it's not an easy thing to do yeah right that's the struggle sort of with the b2b uh, software and i've done it before you know and usually the the clients that were easier to uh to sell to were the ones that maybe they just started the company and they were looking for a new product so they weren't using something existing so they were much easier to sell to especially being a new product but yeah so i i will try a little bit more of that and maybe find some um users uh i guess i should do more research into finding the users that are maybe more looking for something rather than finding somebody that are using a product they're somewhat frustrated like everyone is frustrated with slack but nobody really moves away from it you know they're sort of used to it a quick break for today's sponsor Sean Enman the founder of Coldfeet Studios is offering a completely free 30 minute consultation only for this show's listeners he wants to hear about what you're struggling with and help you with his guidance this consultation is great fit for someone who is a non-tech founder as well as for someone who is but struggling to make a decision about a particular challenge His experience ranges from a three-person startup all the way to a 30,000-person company, so he's seen it all. His consultation spots are limited, so hurry up to his website, coldfeetstudios.com, to reserve your spot. Uh but one one thing that uh, I sort of want to switch gears here and want to talk about something that uh is not maybe talked a lot about and I tweeted about this the other day and more and more as I I do this SaaS thing, uh I'm finding out that you know it really uh matters who is behind the product like who is making the product unless you have some uh some amazing innovative product that you've invented that everybody's using overnight that nobody really cares who did it or what they did it on but you know with most of the products that we uh bootstrappers are doing you know like I'm doing a project management software which there are a lot of project man- management softwares out there maybe mine is innovating in some sense but i think people they want to know sort of who is behind the product and that's more about uh the trust and sort of the you know uh the safety of what they're moving to and i wanted to get your opinion on it like do you think uh that is the case and what sort of made me think more about it i'm taking transistor justin jackson's transistor for example and they uh they're both uh, two co-founders so it's justin on one hand john on the other hand 
And apparently, I think John uh, was working on this idea for a long time, and then they partnered with Justin, and now they're making close to 25,000 per month um, in MRR. And, uh, you know, I was curious just to exercise a thought, like, would John would have been able to do this without Justin? You know, no, knowing that Justin is well known in the industry and everybody knows him, you know, like that sort of helped him, helped them, I think, to get to the point where they are now. Do you think that's the case? Do you think that's a thing? Like, do you think it really matters who is behind the product? Yes and no. Okay. So obviously Justin is very good at what he does. And I'm, when I say no, I, I'm not saying he's not, right? He is very good. And obviously he helped a lot with Transistor and, you know, they're a strong co-founding team and they're doing really well. And he knows his stuff, obviously. I'm not saying anything bad about, about, sure. about them or about Justin. But, I, you know, I'm saying, and also having two co-founders, just, you know, you can get more done, right? Even if there are advantages to being a solo founder as well. But having two people is, is you get more done than one person. So the, the speed will pick up for sure. Um, at the same time, this is kind of stumbling more into the area of uh, kind of my consulting work, which is actually around, most of it is around uh, social proof, which is something I've been, been writing a book on. Uh, it's going to come out in 2020, hopefully at some point when I have okay. time to do it. It's written. I just don't have time to, <laughs> to do like the marketing stuff around it. Um, and it's basically a framework where exactly what you're talking about, this personal form of social proof. Mm -hmm. which is, you know, me as a founder, you as a founder, Justin and uh, John as founders. Um, that can be really powerful, but it's also kind of the one form of social proof that really early stage founders have, right? So mm -hmm. we're using that, so that personal touch as social proof, not necessarily because it's the best social proof, but because it's the only one that's available to us. We don't have a lot of happy customer testimonials. We don't have a lot of case studies at the beginning talking about how amazing our product is. You know, we don't have this expertise. Well, Justin does have this perceived expertise, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he has kind of two forms of social proof. But in a lot of cases as a founder, you don't have, you know, you're probably not someone who when people think of, okay, project management software, for example, with Claritask, oh, I should trust... Um, whatever Val's recommending, for example, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you don't have that kind of name recognition. Right. So, but yes, you know, that personal touch is really important, I think, for early stage founders, but just because it's the only thing that we have available to us. Okay. okay. That makes sense. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I'm going back to uh, sort of uh, Basecamp and uh, they, they most, I guess I should say 37 signals and their most mm -hmm. product, most famous product being Basecamp. Yeah, and they've tried a few other products and they haven't worked out. Like they had that one uh, Know Your Company, I think, that they sort of gave up on or they sold. But it wasn't sort of a runway success, even like everybody knows them. Uh, they've had Campfire. I think it's integrated now in Basecamp uh, inside of it. But I think Basecamp was sort of um, the product that, you know, helped them get this fame. So in other words, um, Everybody knew them, about them, but yet again, they've launched this product that really didn't get anywhere. So maybe sometimes it does matter. I guess it helps. It helps getting the product out there, you know, because I think that um, maybe you could come up with something, something great, but nobody knows Val, nobody gives it a chance to even try it, and that product might die without some, no one knowing about it, you know. So that's sort of my conundrum, like, does it really matter? 
Um, yeah, so I guess it helps. That's what we're trying to say maybe. I, is that sort of what you were saying earlier? That it helps that, can you, in other words, uh, not to confuse our listeners, uh, can you have a, can you sell a product without people knowing you? That's sort of my, my gist of it. Yeah, I mean, of course you can. So there's a guy who isn't called AJ, but his name on the internet is AJ. Okay. Uh, maybe you've seen him on Twitter. Uh, he runs Card. Right. And he yes. creates a card. He's making a lot of money every month. Hardly anybody knows his name. I don't know his real name. I know nothing oh, about right. him. I've heard his voice on the Indie Hackers podcast, but okay. you know, there is no, nobody even knows what he looks like, basically, apart from his, his friends, obviously. So he is basically, you know, nobody, like it could be a five-year-old from China <laughs> who is running that business. Nobody knows, right? Right, right, right. So it's obviously possible if you have a good product mm-hmm. uh, and you're solving something that people care about, then yeah, it's obviously possible. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah. I guess I'm coming back, you know, coming from project management, we have so many project management tools and people I think are jaded with like, you know, what do I use? I have like teamwork, I have Basecamp, I have Claritask, I have this or that, Notion, you know, all these products that, you know. So it's like, yeah, it would help people to know that, hey, I am a real person, you know, trying to solve this problem. So maybe that's my frustration. Like not many people know me. So. Yeah, well, I mean, you, I, I think you can be, there's a difference between being, it being clear what you stand for and just being someone that people trust, right? So mm-hmm. as a founder, you can go and do direct sales. You can get in front of someone and you can build trust like we're doing now, right? Right. Uh, you can do the same thing by having a podcast and having people listen to you or going to talk at conferences or whatever it is. But mm-hmm. just, you know, seeing it's a real person, you start to trust them, you understand where they're coming from. Right. Uh, I think what Basecamp did, for example, is slightly different where you have uh, the two founders or was it just two founders or the founders anyway, yeah. um, who basically they, they're very opinionated, mm-hmm. you know, and they say there are other ways of doing, you know, what Basecamp does, but this is what we stand for. And you're either with us or you're against us. And they are very, very opinionated. And I think that is a, you know, especially when you're in a quite a crowded market where it's very difficult to, to differentiate yourself. Uh, being opinionated can be good, right? It alienates a certain section of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, you know, gets other people, they, they, they identify with you and they're much more likely to buy from you. Yeah, so I, I think, guess, yeah. yeah. Another great example of that is, um, uh, who's a good example? So for example, there's a, a course online called 30 by 500, which teaches you how to build a business. Right. It's by Amy Hoy and, and Alex Sullivan, mm-hmm. who are really, really clever, intelligent founders, a lot of experience. Um, and they have a very, very, uh, what's the right word? Is it, it's not quite ideological, but they, you know, they have a way of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. A way of, they think that people should build a company that they teach people how to do in their course, which is really great. Mm-hmm. And they are very opinionated and it obviously, you know, it works really well for people who, who get along with, you know, what they're teaching and, and doing it. Uh, absolutely great. But there are just some people who just do not resonate well with the things that they say, uh, right. the way that they talk. And those people are never going to be their customers, but they don't care because the people who do resonate really well with them are going to buy because they do identify with them. Right. Which is fine. Right. So they're not vanilla. They're sort of like, you know, picking a, a taste and then going with it. Like I've, I've followed Amy for a long time. Uh, I was sort of interested in her course, but then like you said, I wasn't really resonating with their teaching. So maybe I followed them, you know, nothing personally against them. They just sort of the ide- ideology that you're talking about. But yeah, I guess in, in 37 Signals case, it really helped them. And today there was a tweet uh, by, actually, I wanted to touch upon this. I saw a tweet by DHH um, earlier today. 
And it had something to do with what I wanted to touch upon. It's not about sales. It's more about marketing, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, he said something about, um, you know, the practice of extortion and email extort. I guess he wanted to say extorting extortion, an email address from someone for a free gift is sleazy and should just die. If you have a mailing list worth signing up for, you don't need to bribe people with trinkets of PDF. And uh, this got a lot of people, you know, commenting and we were even commenting on our mega maker uh, club about it. So that sort of thing works, I guess, you know, like, I don't know if they mean to do that, but it really gets people riled up, you know, get around an idea. So. Yeah, no, they, they definitely do that. That's definitely something that they're doing on purpose, right? And it's interesting because you, you know, DHH, uh, slightly, I would say, slightly more left-leaning. And this is something that you see more right-leaning people do more, right? Right, 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 right. So another person who does that kind of is quite provocative on purpose uh, to get reach and to get people to identify strongly with them is a guy, a friend of mine called Ryan Culp who you maybe know as well. Uh, he's the founder of uh, FOMO. And okay. I don't think I know of him, but uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you follow him on Twitter, he, you know, you'll either really enjoy his tweets or you really won't. Okay. You'll either follow him for a long time or not at all. And I think, you know, he's, he says it himself, right? He's kind of stirring debate and he's making people either identify with him or not identify with him. Right, 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 right. That's a, you know, it's, it's a good way of just showing people who you are, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, have, I had like one episode where I was saying, you know, I really want to focus on people that love Claire Task and really pretty much ignore anyone that's sort of in between because before I used to focus on clients that sort of were kicking their tires, weren't trying, I was trying to please them, forgetting the ones who love me, who love the product. So I can see that working, you know. Maybe that should be like one of the marketing takes, like, you know, be opinionated and then go with it. So that could be probably one of the ways. Uh, but... Um, one thing I wanted to talk about is your course that you're coming up, which you mentioned in the beginning of the show. Um, can you talk a little bit more about it? Even if it's like you're, you, you know, even if you're promoting it, I want you really people to hear it out because I was reading through it. I talked to you about before last week, I think we talked about it a, bit, a little bit and it really resonated with me uh, because it said, you know, if you're a bootstrapper trying to get to 10K, these are the things that I will be teaching you. And that's exactly the name of this show, me trying to get to 10,000. So I want you to talk a little bit about it, like what the course is about, what's entailed and everything, including the hard work that you mentioned there. Sure, sure. So where should I begin? It's, first of all, it's, it's a course on sales, right? So the idea is sales is kind of the hard part, this thing that teaches you how to do marketing what kind of product you need to be building. It helps you find product market fit. Um, we're not going to be talking about developing, about scaling on the technical side, about any inbound marketing. So we're not going to be talking about uh, paid advertising, um, about SEO, about any of those kind of things. It's all about going out, understanding your customers, and basically just the general sales skills that you need to learn to be able to get to about $10,000 in MRR. Um, now, we can talk about kind of how the course works, how it's set up, what kind of things you'll learn in there if you'd like. I, I don't know where you'd like me to. to oh, well, I guess the length of it. And then uh, I know it involves you being sort of having one-on-one -on -one sessions as well with every student. Is that correct? Yes and no. So um, I'll give you a really quick history of the course. Mm -hmm. So the first time I started, well, the first, the way I kind of came up with the course basically was... Uh, I've been writing a bit about sales. I've been very active on IndieHackers.com, which is a forum I really like for bootstrappers. 
And I was at this point where with my newsletter, every day I was getting five, yeah, five, six, ten emails from different founders, uh, all with kind of the same problems. And all of those problems were centered around uh, basically sales stuff. So how do I find my first customers? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sending out some cold emails. I've sent out three cold emails and nobody bought. Help. What am I doing wrong? Uh, I had a call with someone. They seemed really excited. And then they didn't end up buying. And now I, they're not replying to my emails. I don't know why. Help. Right? The same things again and again and again. And I thought, okay, I really, you know, I love helping people with this kind of stuff. But at the same time, this is taking up way too much of my time. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, why don't I turn this? Well, first of all, I was looking for like a course that already did this or a book or something. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a guy called uh, Rob who has a great book called The Mum Test, right. which talks about the very, very early stage of this, you know, talking to customers at the very beginning. But it doesn't cover how to go, you know, once you have two or three people who are interested, it doesn't really take you any further than that. So it wasn't covering everything. So I thought, okay, well, I can't find anyone who, like, there isn't a good solution that I can just point people to. Um, I am pretty good at this stuff. Why don't I just turn this into a course? So I kind of, you know, dog fooded, did my own, took my own lessons, I guess. And I sent out an email to my newsletter subscribers one morning and said, look, um, I'm thinking about doing this course. Uh, it's going to be four lessons, uh, all live. There's going to be a Slack group. Uh, I have space for, for seven people. Uh, if you'd like to get in, here's the price. First seven people uh, who pay are in. And I thought, you know, maybe let's see if anyone even wants this. And all seven spots were sold out in under 17 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I read so, the article, actually. You wrote about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I was like, okay, great. Well, now I actually have to do this, um, <laughs> which was really, a really great learning experience. And did that in a month and then decided, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm still not completely confident. I don't still understand exactly all of the problems that people have and, and exactly how to solve them. So the second version I did, which started in May and has just finished a couple of weeks ago, was this live version, right? Where everybody had one-on-one lessons. We were working on a very strict timeline saying, okay, in week one, we do this. In week two, we do this. Week three, we do this. And that was really great because, you know, it allowed me to have a lot of one-on-one time with founders, but it was very expensive. And founders, bootstrap founders, they don't have a lot of money, Mm -hmm. obviously. So it wasn't ideal. And I wanted to be helping as many people as possible. So this new version, I've managed to make basically everything completely self-serve. So it's videos, it's text lessons, it's a lot of worksheets, it's a lot of uh, templates that you can use for your, own, for your own sales. And there's a really great Slack community where we hold each other accountable, where we give each other motivation, um, where you know, I'm in there giving feedback on cold emails and uh, you know, what pe- like people's problems. Uh, in, in, in the community and uh, that is now cheaper so that's under a hundred dollars and you can use that you know if you have access to that for your entire life it keeps getting updated it keeps being made better mm-hmm. and uh, you know you, we'll get into how that works but basically that's the the ideal version um, there is still a version with coaching which has uh, bi-weekly coaching sessions which is more expensive um, but there are only so many places I have for that and that's uh, I mean by, like if you're listening to this a couple of days after uh, we record, then it's probably already sold out by now. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So good to know. Yeah. Yeah, and um, just to think. So the first version was all me doing this. Um, what I realized was wrong, or what, what what I realized founders need a lot more help with, is 
uh, like, so I was teaching, okay, this is how to do a cold email. This is how to do a, a sales call. This is how to do a cold call. And that's really useful. But the main problem founders were having wasn't actually how to do a cold email or how to do a phone, a cold call. They were more having problems with, uh, kind of like you. So let's say I'm ring, like I'm getting someone on the phone and then they're not buying from me. Mm-hmm. Why? Right. And then they were, they were misdiagnosing the problem. So they were thinking, okay, well I must just have the wrong person on the phone or okay. It must be too expensive or I must have sold them wrong or something. Right. But nine out of 10 times they're getting the wrong, like they're, they're working on the wrong solution. They're misdiagnosing what's wrong. Uh-huh. Okay. So the way the course works now, which is really, really difficult and it's going to keep improving, but it's, I think I'm just convinced it's by far the best way to do it is you have a section of the course basically that you go to and each of these bits are based around different problems you might be experiencing. Right. Mm-hmm. So for example, a great one is, um, I'm reaching out to people and none of them are applying to my emails. Why? No one will have a meeting with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why? And then we'll have a short series of videos, probably in this case, just one or two, which explains to you, okay, if people aren't replying to you when you're reaching out to them, here are the reasons why it might be. Go back and check which of these you're doing, and that will help you work out what you're actually doing wrong. And when you know what you're doing wrong, let's say it turns out that you're, um, that you're reaching out to the wrong kind of people, for example, that you haven't... Uh, targeted your audience properly then there's a section that you go to and it says okay you've worked out now that it's you're 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 messing up because you're not targeting your audience properly how do you target your audience properly okay well here's the actual actionable lessons on how to define your audience right right. right? so it's a bit more complicated now and there's worksheets and there's templates and stuff but it's built around like the the biggest problem the the founders were having which was getting it like not even understanding what they were getting wrong they were getting wrong what they were getting wrong yeah. Right, right. And you, and if I got you correctly, uh, you said that uh, usually it's a product problem, right? Like you, your solution that you're working on is probably not the one that you should be working on. It's not needed. Is that, did I get you right on that? It depends at what stage you're at, right? Mm-hmm. But basically when you have, uh, at this early stage, if you have a problem, if, you know, if someone isn't buying, um, if something's going wrong and you have only a few customers, mm-hmm. um, it's nearly always like sales should be obvious. If you understand your customers well enough, if you spent enough time talking to them and asking them the right questions and you're asking the right people, the right questions, then they will tell you all the answers. Mm-hmm. You, you should never really, when you're doing sales, have to sit down in the early days and think, okay, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, I need to put my thinking cap on and plan something. Uh, when you, if you talk to your customers enough and you're really understanding them and their pains and their motivations and their goals, then it will be obvious what you have to do. Right. That would help the product as well. So sales. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I think, I don't know if I read this from you or from someone else, but if you're doing marketing, even you said this in the beginning of the show, if you're doing marketing, you really, you're getting these beats, bits of feedback and you don't really know the context, like why they did that. And if you're doing sales, you start getting feedback of, you know, Hey, you know, this is maybe what they need. And I was working on this bit. Maybe I should do this. So yeah, I'm trying to put my sales cap on more and more as I go forward, especially starting September. You know, I want to focus uh, more on direct sales, finding the right leads and, and connecting with them. So I really want to master this because I really suck at this. Like I've, I've had a service business where I was really good at, at selling sort of the service, you know, web development and stuff because 
you know, people, they knew what they wanted. They came to us and we solved their problem. But now selling the software, selling the same software to everyone, it's sort of like the whole different ball game. And I don't feel confident doing it. So, yeah, this is very helpful. Um, do you, uh, would you want to take some uh, questions from listeners? We have about three questions that are interesting and different from what we were talking about. So maybe we can touch upon that a little bit. Sure, yeah, I'm happy to do that. All right, so uh, let me go here on our Mega Maker uh, Club and let me see here the first ones. All right, so. Um, all right, so the first one is from uh, my online friend, Vinit Sinha. And uh, uh, he says, he actually talks about the, the course because he's interested. Uh, so he says, most of these uh, questions actually come from me wanting to sign up for the course but needing to plan as to when will be the right time and how much time should I budget to, sex, to be successful with it. Uh, so he says, how much effort is involved? For example, if you're targeting 5K MRR, how much effort do you need to commit to be able to get there? And I think a follow-up question to that is that, how would he suggest techniques change for companies that are targeting inbound requests like Transistor and others that have somewhat of freemium approach? And with these in mind, how does the above effort change. So if you have a freemium and if you're sort of targeting inbound requests, how does the effort of getting to 5k MRR change, if that makes sense? Right. Okay. So let's go back to the first question, which I've, can you repeat that again? I, I, sure. I was listening to hard to the second question that I forgot the first <laughs> Sorry. one. Sorry. <laughs> so I was reading and trying to understand as well. So, uh, so Vinit says, uh, how much effort is involved uh, yeah. if you're targeting 5k MRR? And how much effort do you need to commit to be able to get there? And right. I think he wants to know the difference of the effort if you have a freemium sort of approach or if it's more targeting inbound requests like Transistor. So that's sort of difference as well to get into 5K. Right, okay. I mean, this is the answer is the classic marketer's answer, which is it just completely depends, mm -hmm. right? Um, what I can say about the course is the whole point of the course is that if you actually you know take in the material and take it to heart and start using it then it will take you less time to get to whatever it is 5k mrr with the course than it will without right so the whole point is to save you a lot of time all of the you know i spent years and years making loads of stupid mistakes mm -hmm. uh and the whole point is to avoid those mistakes basically right so that's yeah. the th like about the course in terms of how long it takes you to get to five thousand dollars in mrr it's impossible to say because you could start, for example, selling, um, but it totally depends on the product, right? I mean, I could start an info product tomorrow, uh, an e-commerce tomorrow, uh, um, something where I'm leveraging people's time, right? I could start like a copywriting service or whatever it is tomorrow. And, you know, within a week, I could probably have be at, be at 5K MRR. Uh, right. Not definitely, not guaranteed, but, you know, really quickly, I could be at 5K MRR. But let's say I want to sell... A piece of software into uh, hospitals, for example. Uh, it's going to take me months to get to 5K MRR. Months, right, maybe yeah. even years. But maybe I'm never at 5K MRR, right? Maybe I'm at 0, 0, 0, 100K MRR for a year. So it's impossible to say. <laughs> it's, there's sure, no yeah. answer. Um, yeah. Yeah. In terms of people taking the course, I like to say if you're working on any project where you're, you know, you're selling B2B or something to, to prosumers, then uh, it, it makes sense. It'll save you more time than you, you put in. It will save you, mm -hmm. save you money. Uh, for the coaching track of the course, which is obviously you have 
bi-weekly coaching sessions with me. So it kind of sucks if you're not working on your project during that time. Um, I like to say, you know, really you want to be working on it at least eight to 10 hours a week. Uh, and if you're not, then it's better to wait until you have some time to do that. Yeah. And do you, uh, now this is sort of uh, getting away from the question a bit, but um, sort of got me thinking about, since we need mentioned about freemium model, uh, are you the type of person that sort of, the, you know, from your professional standpoint, do you suggest people should like, especially in the early stages, should you ask for the card upfront? Should you have like a sort of free version that leads to limits and then they have to pay? Like what is sort of your, um, maybe a hard rule if you were to like, if somebody held the gun against your head and you were launching a product, like what would you do? Right. So that's whether you should go freemium, whether you should go freemium, like so there's free trial, there's freemium, there's free trial with a card upfront. Uh, and there's paid up front, right? There's all these kind of different options. Um, honestly, it all depends. Like the important thing to decide on which of those you want to do is the magic moment. So the aha moment that the customer gets to. There is a moment at some point when you have a customer that they realize, aha, yeah, this product is worth that amount of money. Mm-hmm. And which version you should go for which pricing strategy, like whether you should charge upfront or not, whether you should get a credit card or not. It all depends on how much work is involved for the customer to get to that magic moment, that aha moment, and how long it's going to take them to get there. Right? So for you, for example, I would probably go for a credit card paid upfront because there is a whole lot of work involved for them to get into the product and to start using it. It's a massive mindset shift, right? Claridesk. Mm-hmm. They're changing the way their whole company works <laughs> to use this tool. Right. Right. So you have to get them to buy in and do that. If you give them a free trial and let them just go and do this by themselves, they're probably not going to do it. Most of them. Right. Right. right, right. They need to, if, but if they've put some money down up front, then they're thinking, oh, this is costing me. I need to go and start using this. Uh, you're going to be able to help them because there are going to be fewer sure. people doing it. So you can spend more time for a customer getting them to the place where they need to be. And let's say whatever there's, let's say there's some tasks in there or they, like everyone signs in on the same day, whatever that moment is, that is kind of the moment where they go, ah, yeah, this is worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. And at that point, like you'd have to get them there as quick as possible. And you're most likely to do that with a a paid, like paid up front. Right. Right. With a trial, with some sort of like a couple of days of free and then it charges maybe seven days later, or you're saying like a paid, they enter the credit card, the money is, is charged. And they get like a free trial of sorts, right? Right. Well, in your case, what I'm saying is it doesn't actually matter when you charge. Uh, Charging upfront is a way for you to say, okay, I only have so much time in the day. And if everyone can start using it, uh, then that means maybe I have to look at, like I have to try and work out from 100 accounts, which ones are actually even possible to become customers. Whereas if you have a credit card upfront, then maybe only 10 people sign up, but you know they're all serious about it, right? So that's more for you. Um, it doesn't really matter which one you, you choose. It's just meaning it's more, you know, you have fewer eggs, but, but it's easier for you to, to work on them. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, there are other tools where it's uh, like they grow with the business, right? So it's very easy for them to use it. They don't really have to do anything. Mm-hmm. So Postperk was a great example of this. We didn't charge anybody up front. We just said, look, all you have to do is basically click one button to work with us. And in a month, you know, within a month, we're going to start sending you, you new customers. And every time we send you a new customer, you're going to pay us some money. Okay. Right. So day one, nothing happens. Doesn't matter. Day two, nothing happens. Doesn't matter. Right. Day seven, we send them a customer and they go, wow, we did nothing. 
You didn't have to do anything. And now we've got a new customer completely for free. I'm sold. Right. I'm in, right? So it doesn't matter. We didn't have to ask for a credit card up front because we knew as long as they signed up that they were going to carry on with us, right? But most yeah. company, most business models aren't like that. Right. I guess it depends on what you're working on. Like I've seen uh, the card up front or like a really limited sort of uh, feature trial. It works best. And right now the way I have it is that once users sign in, they can uh, register for free. Uh, they get really limited number of projects, number of people, and then they have to enter their card. Their card is not charged right away. It gets charged uh, seven days later. So it's a seven day trial. And what I've seen with that happening is that uh, people really get to ask questions right away. They're like, yeah. hey, how does this work? How does this work? Like they try to involve their team. So they get the you know, value out of it. I've used to have it like 30 days and it would take forever. They would like, you know, fade away and nothing would happen. So I will keep it at seven days, but I will also try to exercise the idea of maybe even getting the charge even earlier before the, you know, the, the sort of free limited version. Um, so I'll go to the next question. Um, so Merot, uh, he's from England. He, la he asks, um, how would the sales approach differ from a product that costs nothing upfront? I think we just talked about this about uh, just before, except the time it takes to try it out, but charges a percentage on revenue generated through it. Invite robots startup plan is free, but charges a 12% fee for subscription. A product like that never costs the customer more than the value that it provides, so one would think it would be easier sell. Of course, it doesn't always work like that. As a maker, you have to convince the potential customer that it's worth even trying, but what else? And how to overcome it? So in other words, we just talked about this before. So the, uh, the user doesn't pay anything until they get the value out of it. But how do you even convince them to do that? So I think that's what Merit's uh, question is. Right. I mean, in that case, it's so this is more of a just, you know, understanding your customer, letting them do the sales for you. Right. And I think at this stage, there are, there are basically I think there are basically three really simple steps. If you break sales down at this stage, there are three simple steps you have to take. So the first step you have to take is you have to really understand for that customer what their priorities are, what their goals are, and what their pains are, right? So you have to understand what are they trying to achieve? Thinking about the things that your product work in, how is their life going to be better after your product, like after buying it, than it is now? So in this case, it sounds pretty simple, um, like they're going to be making more money after using the product, right? This, this, right. this example. The second step is to create this win-win situation where me... The, the person selling the product and my counterpart, the customer, where we're on the same team, right? Mm -hmm. So we're working together towards your goal. And it should feel like that. You should feel like you're working together on the same team, like a client and a consultant, for example, right? right. So we're trying to get you to this goal that you've just told me about. And then the third step is to identify basically whatever any objections the customer may have to trying to like to using your product to get to that goal, mm -hmm. right? So are they worried about uh, security? Are they worried about it, you know, not working? Are they worried about the effect it'll have on their other customers? You know, I, I have no idea what the objections are different for right. each customer, right? And then you basically have to put them on a path and to like to success with the product and to remove these objections from them, right? So to handle them, mm -hmm. to explain, okay, you're worried about this. Well, don't worry about that because this is the solution, right? So you help them overcome those objections and you're just gently nudging them and helping them down this path mm -hmm. to 
them getting success. And obviously, because you're on the team together and because you've created this win-win situation, when they succeed, you will succeed as well. Right. So, yeah, I hope that maybe that will help. I know it sounds a, a bit vague, but it's just about really understanding if, if, if your product is clearly only about, like they're paying nothing up front, they can, they'll only pay you when they succeed and they're still not buying, then it just means you don't understand your customer well enough, right? Well, you haven't asked the problem, them enough questions. Yeah. yeah, maybe the problem is not really well understood like you're saying, you know, maybe that should be worked on a little bit more. Yeah, it's probably, probably more around the objections. There's probably things they're worried about that you haven't picked up on yet. So you need to ask them more questions, right? Okay. Yeah, and it that could also sense. just be that you haven't explained well enough why this should be a priority for them. Like, you can say you're going to make a bit more, like if you're talking about the problem and saying every time a customer does this, we will bring you X more amount of revenue, for example. Right. Um, you need to build that, like bring that back to one of their priorities, one of their goals, right? If you don't link right. them up, then obviously they're not going to, like, the customer won't see why this is going to be important for them. Right, like the benefits of Stripe, you know, like you don't really pay anything from it, you know, until you start charging people and then they take a percentage, which is totally fine because they make everything so easy. So sure, so they, they got the problem really well. Um, another question, which I think you will love actually, and I, I know your answer already because you were talking about this in one of, one of the episodes I listened to. Um, so, um, uh, so Conrado, he asks this, He's, he says, is it possible to skip the demo altogether or send the prospect to a recorded demo? Uh, the only thing uh, that prevents me from doing one-on-one one -on -one sales is doing the phone call, mostly because time zone language barriers. I do the effort for my consulting biz, but, but can't for the $19 month SaaS. So I want to hear about your thought about this. So the question right. is, should they be sent to the recorded video instead of the the personalized demo. Sure. So I think like with everything, again, this depends, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a hundred customers, you understand exactly what your, why they would, why they need your product. Right? right. And you understand exactly the language and the arguments you need to use to sell them. Then yes, you can send them to a demo. You can send them straight into the product. You can do this kind of in your sleep, right? You don't need mm -hmm. to ask them any questions. You don't need to learn from them because you've already learned everything you need to know to sell to them. So you've done all of the pulling of information before. Now it's just about pushing the right information to them, right? Right, right, right. So doing more marketing. You definitely can get away with it. But if you're early on and you don't have that many customers yet, let's say you have you know, under 10, under 15 customers in most cases, then really it, you're not going to learn, like you need to, to learn from your customers on these demos. It's not about you doing a demo and showing them something. It's about you learning what they care about. It's about you listening to the objections they have, the reasons why they're worried about signing up, right? Right. It's about you understanding so that you can create something, uh, an onboarding sequence, uh, a, a, a recorded demo, whatever it is, mm -hmm. that will answer everyone else's questions, right? So you're doing the first 10 or 15 sales by hand, you know, on a call, in a coffee shop, wherever, listening to them, talking to them, letting them teach you how to sell to them. Right. So that customers 16, 20, 100, 1,000, so that you don't have to get on the phone with them, right? You're learning how to scale the sales process and the marketing process. Right. You're learning the words, you're learning the arguments, you're learning what they're worried about. 
the you know the language you're learning all of this stuff in mm -hmm. those first 10 to 15 sales so i really don't think in most cases that you can get away with it and i think you shouldn't be too worried about the language barrier uh, I mean, obviously, if you really can't understand, like if they just can't sure, understand yeah. you, then of course there are going to be situations where it doesn't work. But most people I know, and I've been in this situation, you know, I've done sales in, in mm -hmm. different languages before, and it, it always is intimidating, but, you know, you always think more harshly of yourself than they do. So exactly, yeah, fine. that's true, yeah. actually. You always look better than you think you do, you know, like you, yeah. you have all these like self-conscious sort of feelings, but at the end, like it's, it's really about the message that you're trying to get across. And I can't stress enough, uh, even when you have, you know, um, the converted clients or even more clients, I can't stress enough the, the sort of always the chance to, to speak to your clients, you know. Just the other week, I had this request from an existing client who uses Claritask. He says, hey, you know, the staff members, uh, they don't have access to the timesheet reports. Can you please uh, make it available, available for them? And sort of my immediate answer would be, yes, I can do that. But I sort of went uh, an extra step, which is not that hard. And I said, can you tell me why? What was happening? So he said, oh, well, you know, the admins, uh, they can see all their timesheets. But the staff members, they are doing something with their calculators on their computer, calculating their time. And I was like, oh, my God, that is, that is horrible. Like, they shouldn't be doing that. But so that sort of got me into thinking of, of pushing this feature a little bit more forward, you know. So I can't stress enough that, you know, you should always be talking to your clients, you know, whenever there's a chance. Uh, so, yeah, those are the three questions. Um, uh, let me look here on Twitter if I have anything. So, yeah, uh, there's nothing here yet. But um, uh, one other question I, I wanted to touch upon, and I was listening to your episode with Tyler mm -hmm. about the uh, niching part. And this goes back to Justin that we mentioned before. Yep. Uh, so, hi, Justin, if you're listening. <laughs> Um, and it got me to reading the article again, sort of understanding it differently. And it sort of, uh, it got me very discouraged to read the article again, because um, it sort of made me feel, here I am, I have this product, I'm not trying to make millions with it, I'm trying to really target a niche sort of uh, 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 industry, not even an industry, a group of companies that are 10 to 50 people doing digital marketing, serving their clients, maybe working remotely, and those are not <clears throat> that many in the world, maybe. And I was reading, reading this article that Justin wrote, and I was thinking, oh, man, like, there's really no hope for me because I really either have to go big into a market that is, you know, really looking for a solution, for some sort of solution, and I can really never make it in this niche market. And I was listening to you guys talk about it with Tyler on that episode, and you guys were saying that, you know, yes, there is a way but then again, like I'm going back to Justin's article and I'm thinking, oh man, you know, maybe he's right. Maybe, you know, you, the niche market is maybe so small that either all of them have to buy from you for you to make it or like they're not maybe not enough to even market to. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts even after like recording that with Tyler? Like do you still think there is really good hope for like if you're going after niche or you really have to go big or die in the process? Like what are your sort of like, you know, thoughts about that? I mean, so it's been now a couple of months since I recorded that and, and mm -hmm. read the interview. So it's not exactly, or read Justin's article, so it's not exactly like fresh in my mind. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think something I noticed after recording that and, you know, talking to a couple of people about it since, got quite a lot of feedback. Um, I think a lot of what Justin was talking about, a lot of the examples he gave, 
which were, you know, there was a lot of good stuff in there as well. Um, it was kind of, he had the benefit of hindsight almost, right? So he's looking there and saying, you know, this is obviously a really big market or this is obviously a really fast growing market or this person is obviously in that market, right? Selling to this audience with this, they're looking for this solution. And I think if you'd asked a lot of the founders at the very beginning when they were doing that, they wouldn't have been able to give the same answer that Justin could give a couple of years later looking back, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Uh, you know, it's been a while since I've looked into this again, so I may be being a tiny bit unfair there. I, I don't sure. want to misinterpret him. But I think it's totally like if you just start off with people who have some money, you know, they have money and to spend. Uh, so ideally, you know, companies are a great example of this because they have a lot of money uh, in, in the general case. And if you really, really get to understand someone who makes decisions who is responsible for that money at that company, and you understand them and what they're working on and their problems and their goals better than anybody else, then at some point you're going to find something that they're willing to spend hundreds of dollars on to solve that isn't being solved currently, right? Right. Either going to be they... So, I mean, even if, so either it's going to be, there is a problem they have that they don't know they have because they don't even see it as a problem because it's something they put up with every day, right? So you can go and build a solution to that. Maybe there is already a solution out there, but they don't even realize that they need to find a solution. In which case your solution is to teach them about the solution and help them find the right solution, which you can also get paid for because you're still the one who's going to solve the problem, right? So there are all these ways of doing it. And then you can grow into a bigger market. Once you have that, you can, you know, the, the solution you end up solving, the thing you end up building, but then years later, you know, you may have this, this hindsight, you know, uh, this is the market I was solving for. This is the audience. This is this massive potential that's growing. Uh, you know, it may be obvious a couple of years later, but I don't think it's obvious for most people at the beginning. I don't think you need that at the beginning. All you need to do is really understand somebody, mm -hmm. a group of people who you can target, who have money, and really understand what they're trying to do better than anyone else and care about helping them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, I mean, also, if you consider the context, you know, if you're like a bootstrapper wanting to run solo for a long time, the niche market could be, you know, could be okay for you because you only want to make maybe 5K or 10K. But maybe I could see his point, like if you're really trying to go where you're making like 10 million per year, like 20 million per year, maybe like a really tiny, small niche market, it's not the way to go. I guess having that in the back of the mind when you're starting a product, maybe it's a good thing and it all depends how big you want to grow. Do you want to run as a solo founder forever? Is, are you okay with that? Or do you want to you know, grow with your staff and then you're targeting like a niche market and they may be too small to you know, reach those goals. I don't know. That's yeah, I mean, there's this assumption that you choose one at the beginning and that that's just what you're stuck with, right? And that's exactly the point. It's exactly, that's the opposite. That's not the case, right? Mm, yeah. You start off with a market that you can sell into that will make you $10,000 a month. And if you're doing that for a while and you're the best, you're going to notice either I can sell the same people more. There is an opportunity that I'm, you know, in place, you know, I, I can take, uh, advantage of to turn that into a hundred thousand or a million dollar market opportunity or you can start solving a similar problem for other people who you know they start using your product and it's not quite right for them but they're using it anyway because there's no other better solution for them right right, uh, right so right. you can move kind of vertically or you can move horizontally but the idea that you're stuck in the market that you're in at the beginning just isn't true right i mean you'd never say that for 
um, a marketing agency, for example, targeting clients in this one small village, right? You never say that they're going to be stuck with that because they can move to the next village or they can just start charging, you know, they can just move up and start charging different clients in the same place. So it, it's, you know, markets aren't static. Opportunities aren't static. The, the, size, of the, the right. size of the market is going to change and grow as you move through, right? Plus, you'll have more money. If you're successful in one niche, you'll have more money to play with, maybe even with a different product or maybe like a similar modified product for another niche. I mean, you, you will have these, these sort of, you know, options if your product is successful already. So, uh, yeah, yeah, this was, a, I'm, I'm glad I brought this up because I was so, I, I listened to you guys speak with Tyler and then I went back to reading uh, Justin's article and I got really down. I was like, oh man, like this is really depressive. But then like, I'm, I'm glad I really brought this up, you know, speaking with you and sort of knowing that, yeah, you can start with the niche and then you can move up, you can move on the side the different market sell more to the same market so yeah um man i really enjoyed this talk with you thank you so much for being in this show i really appreciate it you're the very first guest so this is the the milestone i will have more guests um as i move forward but uh you were the first one so this is really good uh so for the end i just would like you to uh send people to uh your your course or your website whatever you have that you're promoting right now so they can go to it Sure. I mean, I'm, you know, thanks for having me on. It was really great to answer some questions, to get to know you properly. I hear about what you're working on and I'm, I'm honored to be the, the first guest and uh, hopefully not the last. Um, so if you want to find out more about me, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Louis Nichols and then an underscore. So it's L-O-U-I-S-N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S. Uh, if you're interested in the Sales for Founders course, reach out, you know, over Twitter, just shoot me an email or go to salesforfounders.com. If you're interested, go over there now because on September the 9th, uh, that's when the early bird enrollment closes and it will become more expensive. So get your name on the list now if you think you might even be interested. You'll find out more about it uh, in some emails and you'll have a nice discount if you get in there uh, before the 9th. Sounds great, man. Thank you and uh, I guess I'll talk to you uh, soon. Yeah, great. Excited right. to see, uh, to follow along with, with how it goes. Thank you, man. Thanks a lot.